You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. Welcome back to another episode of NFT365. We are sponsored by the Crypto Business Conference. It is the event for marketers, creators, and entrepreneurs who want to learn more about NFTs and Web3. Excited to have them uh, on board sponsoring uh, these episodes of the podcast. We, of course, are NFT365 doing this podcast every single day since November 11th, 2021. And of course, number 365 will be on 11-11-22. And one of the things we've been doing recently is highlighting, of course, one of the, the projects that we've minted recently. But for this episode, I want to kind of change it up a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to highlight uh, an actual one of the, the NFT projects that we minted uh, a while ago. And this is the Angel Alliance. And it was actually... Are mint from uh, number one thirty-seven. So mint uh, number one thirty-seven uh, about a hundred and fifteen minutes ago, one hundred and ten minutes ago. Uh, but really innovative project, and actually the person that you know kind of brought this uh, one to light to me is actually here. So I rather than me talking about it, Gregarious. Before we get into the intro, you nudged me about Angel Alliance. There are some cool components of it. Uh, I know you're, you've been doing a little bit of work with the team. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? And then we'll get into the intro and the interview and all that fun. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome, everyone. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, so Angel Alliance, I came across, you know, as I was sort of diving into my effort to support more women in NFTs. And Maddie Bergen, who is the founder of the project, um, originally was doing some working at a VC, noticed how f- few people were coming in, especially how many women were coming into the flow. And what she did is she said, hey, this seems like a problem that like I should fix. Uh, and, you know, much as any great startup does, uh, she sort of started out with an initial intention um, and sort of has iterated. Um, I think her original goal was actually to create like an accelerator to fund women led projects, uh, not necessarily in Web3 alone, but a- across the board. Um, but what ended up happening is uh, I believe she sort of evolved to a place where she's actually helping to create more VC analysts uh, and actually training them up on how to do the job that she used to have. And I think nice. in that process, bringing more diversity into that mix, uh, getting more points of view up into the fold. And if it goes the way I imagine it could go, I think where it could end up is that she could have this really phenomenal sort of like network of people who are scouting and capturing new opportunities and become like sort of their own stand-up force, either maybe potentially to deploy out of a traditional VC or maybe as a standalone entity of their own. Nice. Yeah, I, I love that. And I actually did see, so March 28th is uh, actually, well, March 28th, 27th, you, you gotta love timestamps on Etherscan. It says 1.24 a.m., which for me, like that, 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 that wouldn't surprise me as what time uh, that we minted this collection. Uh, but you know, I love the you know focus on inclusivity and diversity. They also have some innovative um, things within uh, their solution uh, in their NFT project as well. Uh, and the floor price right now is 0.02. So I you know I think there's uh, you know great project, great potential out there. So I just wanted to kind of highlight uh, that project, of course, and give it uh, a little bit of love. So with that being said, uh, Gregarious, thanks for jumping in. Uh, I believe I asked you to be on the podcast, I don't know, five months ago, six months ago. Uh, and we talked about, <laughs> like, we'll do that down the road. We'll make right. that happen when it makes sense. <laughs> so um, talk to people a little bit. I mean, you are uh, not only a serial entrepreneur, but an advisor, um, someone that, you know, I, I think I, we first crossed paths just because your name kept getting mentioned um, kind of in like the tech stars startup world that we kind of both kind of uh, shared a lot of overlays in. But uh, tell the people a little about, about yourself and we'll get into the, a little fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just for background, you know, I started, uh, I'm a repeat entrepreneur, as Fanzo mentioned. Um, uh, I've been building social tools, I guess, or I started blogging 2003. So I've been around social uh, and social media, et cetera, for, you know, 20 years now. Um, 
I did help. Uh, I was a VP of product, the first employee at a company called Clout uh, ages ago. A lot of people remember that company, um, but it, you know, we sort of measured and tracked influence, uh, online influence. I left Clout though, and then got into Y Combinator, started a company called Shoot, uh, which we sold in 2018. And Shoot was aggregating user-generated content and connecting fans and brands together. Uh, and then more recently, did some consulting here and there, different projects, et cetera. But now I am a co-founder and CEO of a company called Zealous, which is a community conversation platform helping to sort of aggregate uh, all the conversations happening around communities into one place to make them uh, you know, more available, more accessible, and more approachable for members. So we have to we have to first jump into cloud because you and I have talked about this on the back end. Um, like I owe a lot to that company um, from what cloud had done to kind of validate some of the uh, influence that I had early on in the social media space. And and yeah. I told you this privately, but like you know I I'm very passionate uh, about. The, the idea of being an influencer, I know some people kind of like will knock it and say, oh, it, you know, it's a buzzword or it's it's been ruined. And I, I like to tell people like it's paid my bills for seven plus years. Mm-hmm. And early on for me, you know, I I was in cybersecurity. I was working social business um, for, you know, this uh, booming data center company working through social. And I was this clout score. You know, it was an aggregate of you know a lot of your you know digital uh, interactions. I was running Twitter chats at the time, working with some brands. But I will say for me, it was one of the first kind of uh, pieces where people could tangibly say, like, who is Brian? I, I remember one of the first lists that I made on that, that Clout kind of pulled together. Uh, it was like top 50 people retweeted by CMOs. And I was number seven. And I remember the amount of like outreach people were like, who are you? Like, we've never heard of you, but apparently CMOs care of you. Talk a little bit about like the social world at that point and what clout was doing, because yeah. I think it ties a lot in the web three and like this, like deplatforming and organizing information, because in a way clout was trying to bring together, you know, in this evolving platform, social media space, a way to kind of manage or monitor, or even uh, kind of, uh, you know, I would say label certain people and their influence. So can you share a little bit about that and that journey that was back in the day? Yeah. So, you know, back when we when Clout was starting, uh, was I guess it was two thousand six ish or something like that. Um, you know, we were a very Twitter centric world back then, right? Uh, you know, I don't think we had influence per se. Um, we we started to look at more platforms over time, but it was a very Twitter centric thing. And the way we thought about influence back then, uh, and I still think is a relevant a relevant sort of framing today, is your ability to drive action, right? Uh, of some kind, right? So, you know, there's a lot of things like people can get a lot of like visibility, et cetera, but those are a fact, that's a factor of like how big your audience is. Can you actually make those people like, you know, do something, influence them to act in one way or another? And I think, um, you know, it's interesting. One of the big differences I think between then and now though is, we were all doxxed, right? Like there was no, right. You were racing to attach more of your identity to things back then compared to now. And I think it's, this is one of the fundamental challenges ultimately, right? Like for our space as we're evolving is that, you know, in the clout age of sort of like social influence. And by the way, you know, a small anecdote, Jody Rich, who runs <laughs> NFT NYC, yep. uh, started a competitor to clout uh, called he Cred. Cred right? yep. Um, yep. You know, and um, and so Cred, like was, we're, our offices were kitty corner to each other also uh, in SF. But, you know, I, I think like this idea of like understanding who can do what and drive what is really important uh, to hum- humanity, right? Like all of humanity's existence and survival has actually been like based around ultimately like either physically surviving or surviving culturally like socially together right like and so i think as we move into this new generation pseudo anonymous things still require ultimately like kind of an identity right and i think like this is the hardest part about web3 and i actually think it's a a part that in in my opinion is a little overrated I, i think most people aren't really trying to hide themselves per se uh, I think there's comfort and I think there's a lot of good reasons why you hide yourself, but I don't think it's the norm. Right. Yep. Um, you know, when we got into this, like I'm still gregarious, like that's who I am. Like I, I can't hide myself. And honestly, it's a lot of work to hide yourself. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, that's why I always say anyone that's like catfishing someone or anyone that's like, yeah. like the amount of work to not only hide yourself, but then like to continue to double down in it with every interaction, right? Like when Absolutely. someone, we, we get some, you know, undocks people here on the podcast and they have to have like, 
extra email address. And if it's attached to like a Google calendar that might be searchable, right. all of a sudden I can discover them. Right. So yeah. it is, that's a good point. Like it, it is a, it's a significant a amount of work. work. It's stressful. Right. Like, you know, um, but I think back to your, your kind of earlier question, like I think why this mattered or why we need it, you know, I think it, it what it provided was a framework for actually discovering new people. Right. Because like, for example, like folks yep. didn't know who you were, Right. And when you think about influence, it's not like this, you know, celebrity is sort of a top level omnipresent sort of level of influence. But there are celebrities inside of every domain and subdomain and niche within that. Right. And it's very difficult to know who those people are. Right. Like without software, sort of like seeing what our biases don't see. Right. Like so, you know, like you and I are friends. We'll recommend each other as the best people in the space. Is that like definitively canonically true? Maybe not, right? Like, do I know you'll do a good job? Do you know I'll do a good job, right? Like, yes, right? Like, we know that to be true. But if it was like we were stacking and pecking, right? Like, to figure out like who actually did it, who knows, right? Like, but I believe that the ability to discover new voices, new people, new personalities is actually the most important thing that we should keep doing, right? Because otherwise you just have this classic rich get richer sort of dichotomy, you know, and we have this like, you know, disappearing kind of middle class of, you know, personalities. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, that's why I talk about that word serendipity a lot, right? Like I, how do we, how do we find our people that don't know us? Don't, we don't, aren't connected, but yet we share that purpose and passion. Right. And Gregorius, you and I have become, you know, real fast friends over uh, the last you know year and a half plus we can thank clubhouse in a weird way for it. <laughs> uh, like we were already connected for a while, but clubhouse a lot, you know, we were interacting on a, on a high frequency, yep. uh, you know, through clubhouse. Then we both happened to launch a, a creator coin Take me back to that because I've shared it from my journey. Yeah. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, Jaffe on the, on the podcast. He has a coin. Um, you know, for me, when I think about those, I mean, th- those days, it's, it sounds like I'm talking about 2012. Uh, and I'm really just talking about, you know, 2020, the January, February, March time uh, of 2020. Talk to me a little bit about like your thoughts then on coins, NFTs, crypto. Where yeah. was your mindset at as you kind of jumped into this journey? And then we'll kind of fast forward to some of the things you're doing now. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, Jeremiah Oyang is an old friend of ours. He was the, the person who brought me sort of into the fold of these things. Um, and, you know, I was interested in coins because, you know, I've been working building tools that sort of try to understand like, you know, the economies of things. And so I think like having a coin <clears throat> represented an opportunity to test some of these ideas um, in a more public way. Right. Uh, these kinds of economies have existed for a while, right? Like um, we have rewards points and with companies uh, if, you know, if you're on Twitch at all, you've, you've experienced sort of the Twitch style economies that exist. Uh, and I wanted to sort of be able to like deploy that and understand like what what effort it took to be successful or not successful sort of in deploying a coin. My coin, by the way, is the AMA coin, the Ask Me Anything coin. Um, and the reason for that was that like I actually believe questions are sort of like one of the fundamental currencies sort of of the world. And it is a way to meet new people, to discover new knowledge, to really unearth things that were going on. Um, when I first set out, the goal, we were building like a Q&A product actually. And so like I wanted, it, it was like a Q&A for creators. Like, so you right. could ask them questions. And this currency would be used to sort of trade there. Um, we've had different evolutions of thoughts of like where it might go, for example, though, right? Um, and one of the things, kind of like what Maddie's doing is um, I wanted to create like a mentor network, right? Like where to help like underrepresented groups and founders. So, you know, as these new projects come up, new accelerators come up, usually the hard part is like getting good mentors, right? Right. Um, you know, having done like a couple of accelerators now and I have, have had access to great mentors and folks like that. Um, it makes it really, it's clear how having great mentorship is a, a powerful tool. So I'd love to see AMA go this way at some point in the future still, which is where we actually create a mentor network where mentors join up and then they use, they accept our AMA coin for time with them, yep. right? Uh, and the goal would be then that like programs could just buy these coins and give them to their students. And basically, I want a perpetual economy though, where we just return the coins back to them at the end, right? So it's like, great, buy a thousand coins. You know, uh, it's a one coin per minute thing and you can book any mentor and you get a drop-in network of mentors that you can go to. Nice. So I'm, so back when, you know, when that coin kind of came into to life and like, NFTs, you know, we were on Clubhouse, yeah. um, 
you know, neither one of us have board apes or crypto punks, <laughs> right? So that uh, that also just kind of, you know, we were, I think when that whole thing was kind of happening, what was your kind of like, aha, uh-huh, into this? Because like both of us are early adopters. Both yeah. of us think about everything from a business perspective. We are not like flash in the pan. Like I've, I, I've always respected, like for me, surrounding myself, like with people like yourself have always been like, we approach things very similar, right? Like we're not looking yeah. for the, like the quick win, the quick flip. That doesn't say we don't have a hell of a good sure. time degening <laughs> and sharing a bunch of nonsense. But what was your kind of like aha into this whole NFT world? So for NFTs, I think in particular to me, um, the art side, you know, I guess, I, you know, I was my background, like I actually was a designer before. So I've always had an interest in art. Um, so I never had a hard time understanding buying digital art like that didn't that wasn't foreign to me but i think for me the aha moment was really around and we see the story evolving still is really around like all the utility that can be stacked right and so like the developer in me um what i love about web3 and nfts in particular i guess is really the composability right like so it's that idea that i don't need to ask permission i don't need to create an api i don't need to expose endpoints i can literally see stuff and decide to do anything with it. And I'll give you an example of one project that like caught my attention that like I thought was absolutely insane, but that was really interesting was the loot project. Right. And if you're, if for folks who aren't familiar, loot was like literally this black background with words on it. Right. Um, I don't know if it was like seven or eight words or whatever it was. And if you look at that and you're like, as a piece of art, you're like, you're an idiot. If you want to buy that for like five ETH. Right. Yeah. But what I found really compelling is when you start to be creative and imagine, it's a great way to imagine what composability could be, right? Because suddenly you had this index of words. And if you needed to, like, say, make a sentence, you had to work with somebody else, right? If you wanted to, like, a prescribe value to it, you had to, like, find these traits and turn them into things. But the world was infinite that could be built around those words, right? right. And that was when I first sort of got this glimpse of, like, oh, this is really interesting because, like, that was the thing that was the most different from like what I, like I bought my first um, NFT, I think was like my, I, th- I was a visitor. I lost like $400 trying to figure out how to buy Matic and all this other stuff. Uh, but I bought a visitor. Um, but my second one, I believe was like my .eth domain. Right. Right. And that made a lot of sense to me. Right. Like, but like I buy domain names all the time. Like yep. why I need a .eth per se, you know, I was like, ah, what I, I could just attach all that to my DNS records, right? Like, right. I don't really need a .eth per se for that, right? But the loot thing really surprised me because I was like, wow, there's like so much imagination you could put into this. And that's when you started to like your eyes open up and you're like, oh, like, well, you know, and then we've seen all these evolutions of new types of utility being like laid out there from token gating events to like gating content to, you know, obviously like, you know, all the, the, the mutant style, like mutations that can happen and all these other things. And I personally love that the idea uh, of creativity that we could continue to apply, right. To sort of like the way technology is deployed over time. Yeah. Cause it reminds me a lot of like the design thinking concept, right? Like, and like, until I was exposed to what design thinking was like, to me, someone would throw that out there. I'm like, sure. And then I went through like an, an entire design thinking, you know, like workshop. And I, I did this project with IBM and I remember the idea of like, if we remove the constraints of like kind of the biases that we have and the way that we've always kind of visualized things, like how does that, how does that you know, change or impact the way that we think? But, you know, you also mentioned within there, right? Like you are, you know, design background, um, you know, startup background, working, you know, in multiple startups, starting up your own. You also have a, a dev background, you also happen to be kind of a weightlifter, right? I, uh, I, there's a there's a hidden side there. Of, uh, do you identify yourself as like that multi hyphenate, like that? Uh, I mean, I think that is for sure. But I think it, how does that attach to entrepreneurs? Like, are all entrepreneurs in your mind have that like multi passionate, multi hyphenate gene? Because I mean, you have it across the board with yeah. you know, your skill sets that you tap into. I just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I don't think so per se, right? Uh, so I do think that to be a good entrepreneur. And this goes for every NFT founder out there or anything like that. Um, you have to be prepared to do to eat a lot of glass, right? And that often means learning or doing things that you are not optimal at, but doing them because you want to succeed, right? And so, to me, being an entrepreneur, you most often you um, 
you see a world that you want to create, right? And so you are willing to walk over lava and eat all the glass in the world to make that happen, right? Um, you know, now whether or not that's a smart idea or not, like that's a separate discussion. But I do think like what ends up happening is um, the way I picked up these skills, I got into med school actually, right? Like I was like a you know, pre-med sociology degree, um, took one programming class in college, right? Back then it was Pascal. We were the first year doing Pascal. Instead uh, of, shout like, out to Pascal. Right? <laughs> How about that? I, I took that as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but you know, like, but the thing is, the reason I learned these skills was because as an entrepreneur that didn't have a lot of capital to, to do things, someone had to do the design work. So I I was interested in art. I did design since I was younger. So I was the designer. And then I learned to code watching my, our partner that was the developer code that I made or designed. And that's how I learned that code. So I picked these skills largely because I needed to. But the secret is to learn how to let go of the things you're not good at, right? Yeah. And sort of get into other areas. So I think like um, there are a lot of multi-hyphenate uh, entrepreneurs. I would argue probably that most of them are not actually though. Like, they're really good at one thing and they dabble or do the other things long enough to get it going. And then they hand it off somewhere else. Right. Like right now I'm, I wouldn't sell for money, like almost any of the underlying skills I have. Right. Like I would never charge someone to design something for them. Right. I wouldn't charge them to code something for them. Right. Like, because I know these things largely to protect myself, like so that I can get the things I want done, but not because like uh, it's a, a service or something or expertise I, I sell anymore. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious from, you know, one of the things that I've always struggled around was like, you know, for me working in the corporate world and then working even in the startup that I was at, I like I, for five years, people would be like, Brian, I can't believe you haven't become an entrepreneur yet. Brian, how have you not worked for yourself yet? And like, I remember feeling like this, like immense amount of pressure from the outside of, and, and like, it was even, even my bosses that, that I worked for in the companies I worked for would put that like, kind of like, pre, like I, Brian, you're, you're just natural for that. And, and like little do they know, like my dad been entrepreneur his entire life. I understood some of the nuances, but for me, there was like the scary alternative of, of lots of responsibility for a lot of things that I didn't have experience on. But then there was also this idea of like, I really loved what I was doing for the companies I worked for. Like, I'm very blessed. I can, I can literally say I worked for a 25,000 person government contractor. I worked for a 200 person uh, startup. I worked for a startup. I was employee 11. I liked all three of those jobs, loved all three of them. But, you know, then, you know, jumping into entrepreneurship or even getting kind of pushed into entrepreneurship. One of the things that I've struggled with is that idea that like everyone should be, or could be, or can be, or might be an entrepreneur and the reason I think that's so important in this conversation is it's bleeding into everyone should launch their own NFT collection. I mean, <laughs> three emails today, three emails yeah. today on the recording day that the email started. Benzo, I love what you're doing in NFTs. I've got, the, and, I, and I was like, oh God. I was like, and they're author and speaker friends. And, I, and right. if you're listening to this, I love you all. But it's also like, a, oh, are, are we seeing this as kind of like that entrepreneur side where it's like, oh, it's the thing that everyone's telling me to do or everyone says I should do. How do you kind of present that as someone that advises and, and been through that? How do you connect like that pressure that I think a lot of people, you know, and we can blame Gary Vee a little bit in the sense where like, <laughs> you know, everyone should go sleep on your friend's couch and, and right. you know, and go intern somewhere for free. But in all seriousness, like there is something, I think fundamentally where we have to like frame things in ways that set people up for success without yeah. it having to be like a zero sum game. How do you kind of wrap your head around that whole kind of idea? So I think um, there's a difference between, I think entrepreneurship is, um, is a thing that most people have in them, right? Okay. But whether or not they are entrepreneurs is a different thing, right? Like everyone can be enterprising, right? Everyone can be aspirational. Um, and I think those are, uh, everyone can be optimistic. And I think those are important characteristics and traits that almost all entrepreneurs have to have, right? But not everyone is persistent, right? Not everyone has perseverance, right? Not everyone has like the grit um, to sort of suffer, right? Through a lot of these things. And so I personally believe, and, it, and you know, as we were building, like, for example, Zealous, we were working with creator economy. And my goal was to try to make more creators successful on their own. But to your point, not every creator wants to be an entrepreneur, right. right? Like just like every person starting an NFT doesn't want to be. But I think the better way to think about this is more, if you are going to do the thing, it is better for you to recognize yourself as an entrepreneur than not, 
right? So you can't like say, I want to do an NFT project and I'm just an artist. No, now you are a business person, right? Like you have all of these roles that get embroiled into that. And so I think like what that's what that earlier point about like how you pick up all these skills, you have to do a bunch of things you don't want to do. If you can't bring yourself to do that, then you can't succeed, right? I'm not saying you have to individually do it, but you have to have a partner who's going to do marketing. You have to have somebody who's willing to deal with customers if you don't like dealing with customers, right? right. You have to have someone who's willing to do the technical parts if you're not, you know, um, technical, right? Like, so suddenly you are now managing this whole thing. And guess what? You're a founder, right? Um, now, whether or not you like that, like, is really dependent about how successful you're going to be, right? Because right. I'm not saying everyone needs to be an entrepreneur, but I am saying that if you decide to do an enterprise, right, you are now an entrepreneur right now. You don't need, I think if you don't want to do all those parts to your point, right, then go join a project, go support a project, go contribute the part that you're good at. You'll get to be part of the, that team still, right. But you don't want to be the lead, right. Because being the lead has a whole bunch of other problems and challenges and, and things associated with it. Um, so I don't want everyone to be entrepreneurs. Well, actually, look, personally, I think everyone should be entrepreneur, right? Because I think it gives, it maximizes your opportunity, your freedom, um, your mindset, right? Like all these other things, you get to have full control over those things. But as everyone knows, having full control over things is generally a bad thing, right? <laughs> like, so, um, so that's why most people don't want it, right? And right. I think if you're not that kind of person who's like, you know, like I wake up in the morning and for me, you know, the, the, the most succinct way I describe how I, you know, the difference, for example, between me and my wife, right. Is she's like very organized, very, you know, sort of like a type personality. And to me, everything is, there's always a solution. I'll figure it out. Nothing can like knock me down. Like nothing is going to like literally get in the way. If you can't embrace that idea over and over again, you're probably going to have a hard time being an entrepreneur, right? Because the world is working against you, right? Like, success and entrepreneurship is a very rare thing. And so, you know, most people aren't going to achieve it. Right. Like, and so that is unfortunately 95%, 98% or something like that uh, of startups fail. Right. Like not, not because they're bad people or not because like they were, you know, um, didn't know what they were doing. Like you could do everything right, but you have bad timing. You'll fail. Right. Like you could do everything right. And then some externality happens like a recession or something else you fail. Right. Like, so it's not always that you did something wrong. Right. Like, you know, sure. Maybe you like have a fortune tell you could have a ball to see the future, but most of the time that's not true. So I'm curious now. And, and you know, cause like in this world of like content creation and you mentioned about creators, but you also mentioned like kind of the mentors and we talk about like kind of building the people around us. For a lot of people that I know that are listening right now, they're like, Brian, I'm a believer. I, I'm a, I, I was collecting first. I now know the project I want to create, but I can't find the developer or the artist or I can't, where do I go find? And like a lot of people are at that spot. Yeah. I think there's also equally amount of people that are like, I would love to either be a mentor or have a mentor. Yeah. How do you kind of attach both of them when people are kind of in that spot where you're like, I, I don't want to do everything myself. I want to, but like, where do people go? How do you get people to kind of over that hump of like, I want to, but I don't know where. Well, one, I think it, it is the best test, right? Because if you can't get over the hump, right, then it means that you're not really in it enough to figure it out. Right. Uh, and this is like when you look, talk to any venture capitalist or anything else, they want to see how much you can get done on your own. Right. Like with minimal resources. Now, Practically speaking, if you are a developer, you probably have the easiest time finding work. That's probably not going to be the hard part, right? That's true. If you're a designer, you're a social or whatever, one of these other functions, you've got to get involved, right? Uh, you have to go participate. You have to put yourself out there. You need to build a resume. You need to build a portfolio, right? Um, you have to go do the work, right? But this is like career advice. This is not like anything special to any of this stuff, right? Like what I've switched careers a couple, not like really switched, but like, for example, I went from being like, building automotive CMSs, you know, like in one day to like building social tools. And that was a reboot for me. Like I had to build a whole new network of people. Um, you know, I had to like learn a whole bunch of new concepts and like steep myself in a bunch of things. And it is only by like burrowing through it that you sort of figure it out. Right. I will advise though, that most people shouldn't be mentors. Right. right. Um, because being a mentor is a very, it requires a lot of experience right now. 
generally though, I believe that you could be a mentor for the person in the phase right before you. Right. So right, right. Yeah, true. Very true. right. Yeah. Like everyone could be a mentor relative to that, but being a stand up standalone, like, you know, mentor is a really difficult thing in life, right? Like yep. you have to have a lot, a diverse set of experience to know how to help sort of anyone and no one can help anyone in general. Right. But right. you know, within a, a domain or something like that. So I would say like offering your advice is actually not the best way to learn because you're not taking feedback and the problem with that, like that one way thing doesn't teach you anything, no. right? Like, so what you really need to do is become uh, like a, a subservient to a process, right? Like you need to be a contributor or, you know, something else. I think you learn a lot more in that way, right? Or be a teacher, not a mentor, right? Because a mentor is right. like a one way thing, right? But when you're a teacher, you only succeed in teaching when someone learns the thing that you actually are trying to teach them. That is an interactive process that can get you a lot further. So go teach the skills that you have to somebody who doesn't have them, pick up some skills that they have. And that's the way I think that you ladder up because now you have a pair or a buddy or a little group and you start to become self-sufficient. Yeah. And I think that collaborator element, right, where people, I mean, there are tons of projects right now that, you know, if, that are looking for the skill sets that a lot of people say, you know, like that you have right now. And yeah. the idea that you can, you know, even like, you know, volunteering your time to provide them to solve that problem exposes you to their network and yeah. their internal, right? And that's, that's a, right. such a big player. The other part of this is like this constant need content creation, content management. And I know, you know, when you first, you know, mentioned Zealous to me and what you were kind of working on, for me, there's, you know, I mean, I get, I'm very blessed. I get a lot of tools thrown at me, a lot of software thrown at me. And I think for me, when I look at lots of options, I'm always like, I can have everything, right? Like this morning when I logged in, like I had Adobe Creative Suite up. I had literally Final Cut was running like on my computer and I was laughing because I'm using GarageBand as like the tool that I'm using, right? So like mm -hmm. I have a lot of tools, but yeah. I find like, you know, simplicity in ones that I'm managing. But then there's also this idea of like, where do we go into this like um, automation meets um, kind of like, like scalability and like in that creator economy. And I know for, you know, Many of my friends, especially like YouTubers, podcasters, authors, speakers, a lot of them understand the importance of content creation, understand yeah. and value the importance of telling their story. But there's that weird spot of like, they don't want to really create. And the idea of like documenting, which we can give, you know, Gary Vee did a really great job, I think, of, of bringing that to life for a lot of people. How did, how did that kind of like influence kind of where Zealous has kind of gone yeah. to? And talk to us a little bit about Zealous, because I think for a lot of our community, it's giving me a little bit of an aha for them on yeah. what, they're, what you're actually kind of building that's going to fit into their kind of tool suite. Ah, sure. Absolutely. So you used a great word. Like, I think we're too used to thinking about content. And I would prefer that, and this was a big unlock for me, I guess, like in building Zealous, is to stop thinking about content and start thinking about conversations, right? And so if we reframe the way we think about anything, you write a post, you're not writing the post for the sake of the post. You're writing the post to inspire thought and hopefully to foster some kind of conversation with an audience or with your members or whatever it's gonna be. And so if we stop using that word content, right? And we start replacing it with the word conversation right? Now, all of the things that a traditional content marketer, all the things in the fold, our social media posts, our podcasts, right? Our Twitter spaces, et cetera. What they really are, are two-way things, not one-way things. Now, this is a hard thing for a lot of people to get to, to your point about scale, because even though we know it's a two-way thing, like we, oh, like we might get comments on it or something like that, we don't appreciate it as a conversation. Right. We look at that as like servicing the content, Right. And I think that like the big mindset shift that we had when we, when we were building Zealous, especially to where we've gotten now is that communities are conversations, right? And, and to me, like conversation is the ultimate utility in the NFT world, right? Because yeah. everyone can offer it, right? Um, you can constantly get better at it. You can right. involve as many or as few people as you want in it, right? And and conversation drives everything. It drives future content, right? It drives right. commerce. It drives collaboration. It drives connections between your people, right? Um, so everyone offers content first, right? What we're doing at Zealous is saying like, hey, you're having these conversations in all these different places, and that makes it really hard to follow, Right. And so at Zealous, we only deal with produced content, basically, right? So like, for example, if you have a Discord with a bunch of chat, I consider most chat to be noise, right? Yep. 
And what I know is just from a pure design pattern that if you bothered to record it, it likely meant more than the things you didn't record, right? Mm. So if you have a Twitter space and you didn't record it, great, probably rambling, right? right. If you have a, a Discord room, but it's game night and you're like, you're like, great, there's no secondary value. There's no other way to participate. Great, doesn't matter. But if you recorded it, it meant that there's a conversation that you wanted to have with more people. Mm. And the thing we observed with Zealous was that you have you have a hundred something thousand followers on Twitter. You have a space, and then you have three hundred people show up. Well, what about the other hundred and five or ten thousand people that couldn't make it, right? right? And I think that that's a shame and a big opportunity for community managers, leaders, organizers, etc., to not be so exclusive, such that your time zone is a penalty, right? Yep. We have global audiences now, global memberships. We can't be doing things where like the only way that you can be in it is if you can like stay up till four in the morning or quit your job so you could be there all the time. That's not fair. It's not equitable. And well, we want to change that. And right? it's going backwards because, yeah. you know, for all the Gen Zers that don't remember this, like I had to beg my parents to stay up till 9 p.m. on Wednesday nights in high school <laughs> because that's when 90210 was on. <laughs> and I had to literally be good. And 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 the, the, I remember saying, telling this on stage one time and someone's like, well, why did you have to stay up till nine o'clock? Couldn't you have just watched it the next day? I was like, right. I could have, yeah. if I could have figured out a VCR, right. programmed the, 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 the VCR tape in there, yeah. got it to actually record. Cause those things were literally probably still one of the, to this day, one of the hardest texts ever <laughs> to schedule. But isn't that interesting? Like we, like the idea where we're like, Hey, if you're not in the discord at this time, or if you're not in our Twitter space from 8 PM to 9 PM, you can't consume it. Yet the rest of our media entertainment, we've moved to an on-demand model with everything on that, right? So right. I'm so glad you kind of tied that in there. I also love that you mentioned like conversations versus like kind of that noise, right? Where mm -hmm. some of it, like the back and forth, and it's even why like I hate email. I love conversations, right? right? And it's because email never has ever for me felt like a conversation, right? Like, yeah. And like <laughs> in a weird way, I think you and I even talked about this uh, previously, like Google Wave when that was coming out, I, never really, that, yeah. mm -hmm. I loved the concept because yeah. I was like, mm -hmm. wait a second, you're going to create a fluid conversation through my email. But yeah. of course, Google never brought that to light. It, it kind of died. So that idea, okay, conversation. So I think for a lot of people, they can see that light. Yeah. But now it's more of like, well, okay, does that need to change the way I am recording things? No. And how do I get that information to them? How do you? Yeah. How do you so great, that? great point. And that, by the way, I, I, just a little anecdote. Someone, I, for, I forgot who said this. Someone told me like and your inbox is somebody else's to-do list for you. Right? <laughs> That's good. Yep, that's so true. And right? I don't like being told what to do. So no wonder I don't like my inbox. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so to your point right now, I think, so the first part is the first problem we address with Zealous is like the availability of the content, right? Like, mm -hmm. Hey, why isn't it easy to find it? Why isn't it easy to sort of get to it or part to get there? The second part is the accessibility, right? And, and this is to your point where you mentioned automation earlier. This is where we actually help a lot, right? So we look at accessibility from two different points of view. One is the format, right? So, and, uh, and the second is the language, right? So number one, format, right? Different people have different learning styles, right? You deal with like neurodiversity, right? Like some people need to read things. Some people need to hear things. Some people need to see like, right? Yep. We rob people of the best chance to participate by not giving them that content in multiple formats. Right. Completely and so that's what we do. Like at Zealous is we take like, you know, your audio based space, we turn it into a video and we turn it into text. And so now, however you are best uh, set up to understand or comprehend that data, you have access to it. Of course, this also deals with disabilities and other things. So it improves the ability to have a conversation with more people, right? It right. widens the net. The, the language part is the new part that we're about to start working on soon. But that also lets you say, if you're a native Spanish speaker and my community is like one third Spanish, right? Well, you know, I, I hear Discord operators all the time. Like, they're like, should we add this other channel in another language? But then they're like, we don't really have that like expertise in house. And the problem is that when it's chatter, you can't do it. But when it's for something important, like this workshop, a webinar, whatever it is, it's worth getting it into that other language. And so by right. creating more of these artifacts, what we're doing is making it more approach, like more available to more people in a way that they can actually understand it better. So when we think, when you think of that, like 
for me, the content management systems are things I've dealt with since I worked at the government, right? So, and yeah. we were trying to, you know, we were deploying SharePoint. I mean, anyone that knows SharePoint should feel bad for me just because yeah. that's what I was <laughs> deploying. And if you are still listening to this and you work for the DOD, I apologize for the SharePoint <laughs> versions that I, that we put out to the world, although it's way better today than it was whenever I was deploying it. But, you know, content management as a whole, I've always felt like it, it's either, it's either built for the search engine optimization of mm -hmm. like random discovery or yep. it's built in such a way that is even like you have to know the, the secret way of kind of cutting through the noise, right? Like right. anyone that's like logged into some of those things, you're like, what combination of search, like I need to use something in param you know, parentheses plus, you know, and like kind of figuring that out. Yeah. How are you looking at that? Like kind of like the discovery of content, the searchability of content and really kind of where it plays into the future of SEO into this you know, web. Yeah. Theme. So I think, um, uh, I don't, I think we optimize for humans, not machines. Right. And so we, uh, you know, we have a lot of text content kind of by default for everything we make. So hence inherently there's like good SEO value here. Right. However, we allow for gating of that content. So a lot of it may not even be available, right? Like, um, because it's like behind a paywall or an NFT or something else, right? Um, but what I do care about is how quickly can a person make their way through that content, right? Ah, okay. You know, and so, um, and how quickly can they find it? Um, so there's features coming, right? Like, but like full text search, like for any conversation that's actually been found. Great. I'm looking for this word filtering down for a specific person. Cause I know Fanzo said it. Can I find just where he was talking? Um, you know, we built in, for example, like a highlight reel so that people can like say, this was an important moment. This was an important moment. This is an important moment. And what it generates is actually the short list. So you don't have to actually read or listen to the three hour space. You can listen to just the 15 moments that were clipped out by someone who paid attention. Right. Nice. Um, we are, we have a feature um, coming soon where we're going to allow playlists. So like you can curate out like five or 10 moments and annotate it like in your own way so right. that you can actually provide like some context around it. And all of these are ways to repackage a big, because people ramble, right? Like, right. so, you know, like two hour space, you know, every space you can probably cut the first 15 minutes off just because it's everyone's still introducing themselves. Right. right. Um, and then you get into like, and then even in there, there's like one or two moments we want to try to make it as efficient as possible to find those one or two moments, because I believe that if you really want people to participate, you have to make it so that they can see where they should participate as quickly as possible. Well, and let's face it. I mean, I made it through high school and college with cliff notes. I mean, I will, <laughs> I, I have no shame in my game to this, this point where I was the guy that got like the teacher would say what books we're reading this year. And I would be the one that would run to the yeah. local bookstore to buy like the, okay, here's the, you can run, read these 15 pages and consume the 300 page book. And, and I will say like, at the time I thought like, I, I was like a shameful approach to what I was doing. Little did I realize like my brain operates a hell of a lot yeah. better. And if the, if the goal of reading the book was to get us to understand these concepts and I could do so in 15 pages because it was built for me, yeah. why the hell was I not like, you know, set up for that, right? Like it's such an interesting um, subsection. And like what you're saying there also is like, we should be able to cut through what the quote unquote noise is. And I still believe the hardest part of this whole content conversation game is getting the right information to the right people at the right yeah. time, creating yeah. the, inf the content, putting the stuff out there. That's easy. I mean, to me, it press the damn button, right? Like literally yeah. it's that easy, but it is about like filtering it, getting it to the right people at the right time. Um, I love that approach with what you're doing with Zealous. Well, and the power here though, Brian, is that previously this was like command and control, right? So brands want a highly curated experience and we're going to push it out and it's going to be fully polished and a thousand millennials are going to look at it before like it hits, you know, uh, the internet, right? Right. Now we have the community though. We have the listeners to be part of that experience, right? So if you think about like Goodreads, right? Yep. You, that's the modern equivalent. It's like, let me read the highlights that other people highlighted from the Kindle book that I don't have enough time to go through, right? Yep. Um, that experience, and by the way, we have a combination of humans and AI, right? So we can use AI to do like auto summarization. We can find sentiment analysis. We can determine interesting peaks. We can use the emoji data from Twitter spaces to find out where people were really reacting, right? So there's a lot of signals that we can get, but the best part is the humans, right? Like mm. someone just goes through and is like, oh, that like, I know like your team is taking track of like moments that are interesting. They, they'll be able to go to Zealous Transfer, just highlight those five. And now if someone wanted to just spend five minutes listening to this combo, 
they would listen to just those parts. Mm-hmm. And that would give them a lot to know whether or not they want to invest the other 40 minutes to like, say, pick up the rest of this thing or the whole thing. Well, and I'm a, I've been a big believer. I mean, this is my you know eighth podcast and a lot of them I've done live video. We're recording this live. Yeah. And I, re- I mean, like the traditional podcast haters would come to me and be like, you're, you're cannibalizing your audience fans. I'm like, what are you doing? Why aren't you getting them? You know, like, what are you doing? Open that on live. And like, for me, it was always like, hold on. Like, I don't consider, care where or how yeah. someone chooses to consume my content. If they're giving me my their time, they can pick and choose. And I've also always strongly believed that if you give people different entry points into trust you, it doesn't matter what that entry points are. They'll find their way to like what yeah. your you know your value is. The yeah. the other thing you brought up was kind of like the gated piece, right? And and mm-hmm. I we'll kind of summarize for those here at the end that are like wondering if if zealous might be something for them. We'll talk about that at the very end. But yeah. you mentioned like the gating, and in this Web three world, I think right now we are we're, it's a very uh, I'd say lost uh, art at the moment of understanding what should be gated, what should not be gated, what does even token gated mean? And I will say, like I think a lot of brands really did this bad through Web two, right? Where there were things where you would click on it. And you get halfway through an article and you're like, um, I got to I got to pay. How do I get the rest of that? Right. Or it would be the other way where they would just give you that generic blog post with yeah. a link that says click here. And then that was gated for something. And most of the time it was they want your email address. Like, let's face right. it. That's how it worked. Yeah. But that was because we needed an entry point to follow up and then get them into our funnel. <clears throat> how is token gating kind of changing that? And how are you looking at it from us to yeah. idea of like what we're gating, how we're getting it and like kind of that, where that lit? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think it's, it's a moving target, obviously. Right. But I, I, what I've observed so far is that most projects are offering a hybrid approach between pre like what I'll call premium content and public content. Right. And so, you know, the public content may be the stuff that we do on Twitter spaces. It's sort of where it's like get to know the vibe of our community here, like from our team here from other members, potentially. Right. I actually look at um, I have a pipeline that I use to talk about sort of like how conversations flow at the top level. These public content is really serving the purpose of like building audience. Right. Right. Um, That middle tier is the community tier. And that's where you have more like, you know, like we close it off because what we don't want are people who aren't aligned with the passion or the vision or the mission. Right. Because like it's always easy for someone to come in and be an a-hole. Right. And just like basically, you know, just like throw barbs or FUD things like for no good purpose. But that's like that premium layer. Right. Like that community layer. And the premium may be buying an NFT. It may be just like you need to be invited, like whatever the gate is really, I think. You know, it could be like you have to be an owner of our product, right? Like we plan to yep. integrate Shopify. So as long as you've got a receipt, right, it means you're on the team, right? right. Like that that's as little as what a gate could mean, right? right? But I think what you get to that premium tier is really about helping connect people to each other. Um, I was listening to your show the other night um, and you were talking about sort of the audiences. All right, yeah, the one Saturday, you recorded Saturday. But it was like, yep. all, you know, and I think it's like the difference is moving between uh, an ecosystem of dots to an ecosystem of lines, Right. And the dots are just nodes, right? So networks, I when you were using yep. the analogy, like a node, like yep. it's like, okay, great. Like that's one dot, but an, a creator and their audience is also a dot, right? Like, right. because it's really just like everyone's around this one dot. In communities, it's about the lines that connect them, right? Yep. And so the strength of a community is actually about how many lines there are, right? Amen. Not how many yep. dots there are, right? Um, so, you know, you take your Discord, 10,000 people, but there's a hundred inside, you have a hundred lines, right? right? You got a thousand, 10,000 dots. Nobody cares about the dots because the dots don't show up all the time. Right. Right. So I think like when you look at gating, it's about incentivizing investing. Right. Uh, And it's about being there with the right mindset. Right. Like, you know, it's like when you're like, well, great. Are you the kids who sit in the back and because you're required to be at that thing or you kids in the front row because you want to take notes? Right. Right. And I think that that that's how communities are using the gaining to some degree. Right. Is like, you know, premium content. Like we're going to do a webinar workshop. We're going to teach you up into a thing. Um, and I think that that's a really important part of the process. Now, the other reason for gating and it's the third pillar of zealous actually is around the approachability of this content, right? Because I don't think that these conversations work if there's still one way. Yep. So we built a lot of tooling in where you can like and comment and do other actions around the content and actually participate in it just like you were there. Now, why this is really important though, right? Like it's a very simple thing is that if me and you were in a room, the only two people they'll probably hear is me and you, 
right? Because we have big personalities, right. we're out, we talk, right? People come and ask us to talk, right? Whatever right. it's going to be, right? But there's a lot of people who like maybe don't have the courage to come and like open their mouth in front of other people. They're scared of public speaking. Um, they're scared to ask their question because they might be ridiculed or whatever it may be. Sometimes they need time to think about and digest the content before they formulate how they want to ask the question or et cetera, right? And so this, by making these this content approachable where I could participate in it after the fact as well, that becomes a really critical part of making more lines as opposed yep. to more dots, right? Now, gating helps to make sure that only the right people are there, right, to even do that. And then I think over time, what we'll see is more clout style, karma style things, systems introduced into the ecosystem to say, well, not just having the NFTs enough. But like you had to have been here, you had right. to have participated, you had to be like a contributor and people had to like actually think what you're saying is good because that's the kind of people we want to encourage and foster more and more. And I think that's actually some of that magic of how the combination of NFTs and coins end yeah. up working, right? Because you're able to kind of build that upon it. I also love that, you know, the touch point on like the more lines, right? And it's more lines to more people, right? Because I, I think a lot of quote unquote communities that get stuck in the, you know, there's only lines to one or two or three active voices. And the other part that, you know, is really important on this whole gated conversation is a lot of it is also to protect the individuals that are getting the courage to ask a question or to be vulnerable because it's not, I, I get a little frustrated when people say this is a safe space. Well, is it a safe space? Cause I, yeah. I believe you're just publicly on Twitter that any Yahoo can come up and raise their hand and <laughs> yeah. say anything in the, you know, in the world. Right. So like, yeah. What does that really mean? So I love but, it. But what like, does safe mean, right? Safe yeah. from what? Like safe from like differing opinions or yeah. right? Yeah. Like safe from being personally attacked, right? Like, you yeah, know. Or safe <laughs> from being, because like, I mean, and that was a thing with us on Clubhouse for a while. Like we were doing a lot of those mental health spaces and like we curated, like you had to have a phone call with us before you could come up and ask our question. And people were like, well, Brian, you're defeating the, the purpose of Clubhouse. I'm like, well, no, we're validating the premise that we are building a safe space where we are understanding the context that they're asking the question and making right. sure that we're, you know, kind of setting that landscape. So I love that you kind of, kind of touched on each of those uh, kind of characteristics, you know, where, where you're at now, like, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, Twitter spaces, you mentioned like turning, uh, you know, social audio into video and, and written. What about like, kind of like the, let's say the video interview side to that way, or what about like the blog post, right? You know, uh, you know, person that's writing blogs that way, how are you looking at like all of the different content creation types to kind of yeah. manage the conversations with Zealous? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think we're pretty focused on produced media today. Um, we could technically read, you know, a blog post into audio and turn it into a video if you wanted. Um, I think, uh, and there, there's value in that, obviously, right? right? Like, uh, you know, for folks who are blind, for example, right? Um, but there is also technology to solve for that. But I do think um, I, I'm a fan of like the richness that audio and video provides us, right? Because right. it allows for a lot more nuance. It allows for a lot more compassion and it allows for a lot more empathy, right? Because, yep. you know, you hear someone's voice, you know, if they're being an a-hole or if they're being sincere, yep. right? And it can, and the same three words can come out like a hundred ways, right? Yep. Like, and I think that that's why, like, we we tend to focus on this type of media because it's very efficient for sharing your thoughts, um, you know, and getting out what you want to say, right? right. Um, a lot of people are not good writers, right? Like, or they feel they're very self conscious about like writing things. Most people can't don't write long form to begin with, right? right. Um, they certainly have no handwriting skills. And I, I, I write like in a block letter, like a third grader at this point. Yeah, so, do I. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, so I think like we're pretty focused on rich media, uh, because I believe, like I said, in the lines, right. Yep. I think when you do things in isolation, it's more dot work. Right. And so that's like, you know, like writing long form posts to me, um, I don't think it's going away and I don't think it's a bad format. I just think it's not the, the medium that we want to focus on. Yep. Right. Um, and I think most people would be better served not procrastinating writing the long form thing. If they just get out and say, I'm thinking about this thing, yep. you know, and just uttered it out. Right. Like, yep. and it doesn't have to be well-formed because I don't think, I think this, this fake polish that everyone is sort of like gotten used to expecting and wanting. Right. Um, I think we don't need it. Right. Like humans I mean, are not perfect. 
TikTok's yeah, right? proving, like, like, literally they are proving the fact. TikTok yep. has literally built an algorithm that says, oh, you overproduced that, jump cut the hell out of it, spent four hours on that video, we're going to show 200 people because 200 people care. Yeah. Oh, you just did a one-shot take and yeah. you were you know, passionate, looked in the eyeballs, we're going to let 400,000 people, right? TikTok that's, literally is proving that. And that's what I think. I think we need to get back to talking to each other. We need to get back to seeing each other. Right. Like, um, I'm not forcing it on people. Like I'm just observing naturally occurring things, right? Like Twitter spaces happen, not because of us, they were just happening, you know, zoom calls, discords, webinars, all these other things are happening. Um, we're focusing on that type of content first, right? There's maybe a chance, like maybe an opportunity to work with more other formats. Um, but I don't think we need to, like, there's so much work to be done in this arena you know, most podcasts today are still one-way experiences, right? Like, or, you, you, it's been it's been my biggest complaint about podcasts. Yeah. I mean, and and even when podcasts create a Twitter account, they just dump the link to the episode, don't yeah. reply to comments, and I mean, it's it's been the to me that's and and I will say, I always called it participatory content, right? Like, right, I right, love right. participatory content, right? It's why live video was always attractive to me. It's why. Twitter spaces and clubhouse was attractive to me because it is that multi-way, even if there's not a lot of people coming on stage, there are people giving me nonverbal feedback, you know, the, the emojis on, on Twitter spaces. And I think to your point, like that is also a spot where I think we, we allowed like the TV media production world to skew what we thought YouTube should be and what we thought Facebook should be. But if we scrape all that around, like, why do we love networking events? Why do we love sitting on the front porch with a friend drinking a beer and hearing a story? Because we get all of the context. It's very unpolished and it's, it's real and raw. And I think you're right. I believe a beauty of coming out of the pandemic, a beauty of what clubhouse exposed to many of us was, wait, we want intimacy, vulnerability, authenticity, transparency. Well, those four things best live in participatory content much yes. more so than produce. That's right. And like the great thing with Zealous now is we, we're about to, we'll turn this feature on soon. You just give us your RSS feed. We'll make it two way by default. Like we'll just ingest it and we'll add the transcript and then I'll all be interactive. Right. Um, and what's powerful about that, I think also is you ever get one of those emails where you like, you write like, like a thousand words or something. And then just some idiot replies, I don't get it. Yep. Right. <laughs> I'm like, really? Right. <laughs> um, with us, you're always replying to what someone said. And by preserving the context of like what they're mm-hmm. reacting to, you actually can better reply. Right. It saves you time. It saves everyone frustration. And it, hopefully it gets you back to a resolution or a collaborative place like faster. Well, I mean, anyone that's, I mean, I'm a huge Google Docs fan, right? And when it used to be read this and send me an email with your review, that's a nightmare of back and forth, right? Yeah. Versus let me highlight an inline comment what I care about. Like medium.com has done that really, really well, right? Where all of a sudden they changed the narrative on blog replying, right? And I think that was, and I think that component here is, is so important, especially if it's something delivered via audio and like sometimes missing out that context. So I, I love that part. So Zealous, you know, uh, you know, you've been capturing, uh, you know, all the Twitter spaces that I've been a part of uh, since I think all the way back in February, right? So we mm-hmm. have all of them um, captured up on a, a we'll link and we'll, uh, you know, all the links of course will be in the notes below. But for those that are listening that are like wondering like is Zealous for them or what are the next steps or how does that work for them? Give them a, give them a little bit of like that um, component, what, you know, what they should be looking for or. You know, yeah. So, so Zealous has two sides to it. Um, one is just the pure listener side, right? And that you, everyone can sign up for that. And um, when we launch, it'll probably be about September. We're about to push our new release actually up later. Probably by the time this podcast is live, uh, you'll be able to go and sign up for Zealous. <clears throat> but when we want, when we do launch it, the listener experience is going to be um, really like connect your wallet, follow the projects you want, and just listen to them, right? And mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that like all the NFT communities out there that are putting out great content, like that all of that content is going to make it to their members automatically. Um, we do that by basically following all the Twitter spaces for all of those NFT projects automatically, back them up, and then share them back to you in a Spotify style experience where you can just mm-hmm. listen. So if you consume this content, we're probably a great place or way for you to consume it because you can time shift it and do all the other things that you want. So I think everyone can be a user of Zealous on that part. Right. Now, if you're a content creator or a conversation creator, let's say, right? Like where you yep. are you know, participating or creating or hosting spaces, you have a podcast, you're a creator in one form or another, uh, or a community organizer, there's a different way to use Zealous where you can then put your proprietary stuff into here as well. 
right? So um, when people sign up now, they get Twitter space for free. If you want to have like your podcast come in, then you sort of switch to eventually we'll have a paid plan. You'll you'll like level up to get to like one of those plans so that you can like include third party content. But our goal our job is to like aggregate all the conversations you're having into one place, right? So RSS feeds, YouTube content, um, you know, Twitter spaces. Uh, we're not really doing Clubhouse, honestly, but <laughs> you know, um, but you know, I, but I think the idea is like bring in more and more and more of the stuff that you have going on in all these places. Have all the people who care showing up in that one place, and sort of create this like meta layer, a conversational layer around co- like community. That may become something longer form, bigger form. We don't, that's not our job to sort of like drive it anywhere. Like you want to still have a discord. That's great. You want to slack. That's great. But I think if you make content today, um, but you want to make it participatory, like you call it, right? Like we're the, that's what we're helping you do. Which I think is, I mean, not only is that needed, but it's, you know, it's that combination of filtering beyond the noise. It's empowering everyone's voice to matter. And I think the other part of this is also that is essential is like, how do we allow facilitate conversations amongst our community and our audience, right? Like it drives me nuts that Facebook live all these years later still does not let you at mention someone else that is in the chat that is watching the same video as you. Like, right. <laughs> like, I, like I, I understand the guy on video or woman on video um, is talking, but I want to have these conversations with the people that are watching alongside of me. Right. And yeah. like, and that kind of that element as well. Yeah. I, I love where you're going on that. We'll put more details in there. We of course will share, you know, there's some other things I know you have in the works that I'm excited to kind of get out um, to our audience. Uh, the last thing I want to throw to you, you know, as a, as someone that, you know, advises startups that has yeah. a startup that has worked in this space, you know, startups go through ebbs and flows, ups and downs. You mentioned it. Like, I mean, you literally, that's part of the grit that an entrepreneur you know needs to have. Well, let's face it. These last couple months for many people, especially NFT crypto space, is the first time they've rolled the roller coaster down. <laughs> like, <Right>. and <laughs> they're wondering, like, how do I survive the downside of the roller coaster so that it picks me back up on the back end? What's your approach or advice for those that are listening that as someone that's experienced kind of all of those ebbs and flows, how do you look at like the bear market and keep your head about it yourself, but also just admitting that like, hey, it impacts all of us. We're not, you know, none of us are, you know, um, you know, absolutely, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, you know, can, can't avoid a lot of that that comes in. But for those that are listening, I know a lot of people are at that spot in yeah. their life. What is your approach? So I think um, a couple of things I say, let's be honest, there may not be a recovery, right? For a lot of you, like you may just get burnt out and that's it. Um, there are existential things that happen. Um, everything that goes down does go up, right? Mm -hmm. The question is, do you have the patience and wherewithal to survive through the timeframe that's there? Right. So, um, like, I don't think it's going to be a short, like, I don't think it's gonna be a very long protracted sort of dip this time. I think, you know, I think dips get smaller and smaller, Mm -hmm. like as, you know, as, as systems mature. Right. Um, but it's going to be a while. It'll probably be another year, right? Like where we're sort of at least like in this, right? Like kind of right. down phase, um, you know, and I, I think um, you've got to, you've got to realize you shouldn't be in it. If you're in it for the money, then th- that may be the main reason to eject yourself from the ecosystem. By the way, I would argue that there's actually great amounts of money to be made in these kinds of markets, right? right. So the number right. one simplest advice I'll give is that some of the best things that we know of love now were all made in downturns, yep. right? Because it forces ingenuity. It forces you to think. It forces you to work with, with, with fewer resources, right? Um, it also separates out why you like your motivations for being there. Like, do you really want to see this thing happen? Or were you just like trying to do it for a quick, quick flip, right? Yep. Nothing wrong with a quick flip, by the way. Like, but if that was why you're doing it, that opportunity is sort of like narrowed now, right? Like there's just right. fewer quick, quick, quick flips that you can do in a, in a bear market. Right. I, I think like weathering it is about like building relationships with people, right? Like staying, reminding yourself of why you want to do something. Right. Uh, and then resetting the expectations. This is the most important part. Like if you thought you could do something in three months, it may be six months, nine months, a year. Right. Yeah. And so you just have to get used to the idea that the things you wanted to do likely have a different time horizon. And there also are likely new opportunities that you weren't considering before that you have to like reevaluate like the world through. Right. So, you know, look at all the, the, the new metas that we've seen like around, like, you know, that's come out 
Freemints, et cetera, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Like all this stuff was not stuff we did. No. Nope. Right. Like literally like three months ago, no one was doing any of those things. That's what that inventiveness and ingenuity looks like is people coming on and saying, well, I could do this. And what happens is their roadmap gets trimmed or they readjust it or they reevaluate it. Nothing wrong with that. Right. What's bad is pretending everything's the same, right? <laughs> yeah. And just acting like you're going to get it all done with like one tenth the money and, you know, like in one tenth the team and all this other stuff. So if you're not honest with everyone, especially yourself, you will definitely not come out of this well. But if you can be honest quickly, right? And look at every every new thing as an opportunity, not as a failure. I think you have the best chance for success. Oh, love that, Gregarious. Uh, you know, I appreciate your friendship. I love, you know, what you're doing in the space. Like, I like being on the journey with you. You know, we message just about every day. Yep. Uh, most of the time on random uh, <laughs> NFTs and, and the world that exists that we're that we're always kind of dealing with. Um, but you know, I, I think for those that are that are listening, the other part of this that's like beautiful is like you know, co-creating and like you are really great at not only asking for feedback, taking feedback, but like leaning into use cases and um, ideas that people have. And I know we have a lot of people in this community that listen to the show that they're building something, right? They have a vision, a purpose, a passion. And I, I challenge all of you that are listening, right? Reach out, you know, Gregarious, like connect those dots because there's some beautiful synergy there. And, you know, just based on my experience, you know, working with you on on some things that it's been a lot of fun on that journey. So uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for, you know, we finally locked this in and uh, yeah. and I'm sure we'll talk more, uh, you know, in future episodes come, uh, around the podcast as well. It's been a pleasure and I will see you all soon, I'm sure. That is for sure. Yeah. And we hung out in person, uh, these in-person events. So if you see, uh, you know, more than likely if you're hanging out, you're seeing me around, you're going to see uh, Gregarious <laughs> around as well. We got to, we got to, to, to do up the town in Miami, which we ran into each other accidentally on the street. Like yeah, we had that was the first like, time we met in person. First time we ever met in person, yeah. right? We had been to like the same events multiple right. times, never actually <laughs> met in person. Streets of Miami, apparently right. were the, yeah. the magic weapon. But uh, for everyone listening, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, as always, until tomorrow, make it a great day. Cheers. This show is not financial.